we are turned into the book of Joshua, chapter 14 and verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephuneth, the Canaanite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kaddish Barnea. Let's pray. Lord, we we come to thee for the strength and the help to minister to your people the word of God. Lord, we are reading history, but oh Lord God, we are aware that in this history, you have a message for us about Jesus Christ, and you have a message for us about ourselves. And we pray that you would help us not to be lethargic, not to be sleepy, but help us to be ready to receive from your word. We commit the word of God to you and ask that you will use the word of God to evangelize, to encourage, and to edify. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We made a diversion from the book of Joshua in the spring. In our last study, we saw how the Lord Yahweh exhorted Joshua that though he was old and well stricken in years, there remained much land to be conquered, literally. Joshua 13, verses 1 and 2. From Joshua chapter 13 through 17, Joshua began in earnest to divide Israel's inheritance among the remaining nine and a half tribes. Well, this is history. We will consider one of the heads of those tribes today. Our aim in these studies, as I have said many times is not to give the church information on ancient history you can get that anywhere you can get that in wikipedia you can get that anywhere it's not my purpose neither is it the purpose of god to educate his people in history but to show how history relates to the gospel message. This is the preacher's responsibility. That's why God gave us pastors and teachers. Caleb was what I call the twin brother of Joshua. Not in the literal sense of the word, but a twin brother in the faith going back 45 years earlier. It's a remarkable story. Joshua and Caleb went against the opinion poll in following the word of God. I say this 
many times, I say it again, the Lord with anyone is a majority. 45 years later, Caleb and Joshua reunite around one common interest, claiming God's promise. That's the title of the message. It's a remarkable piece of history. Caleb is still the head of his tribe, Judah, as he was back in Numbers, where Moses was commanded to send out 12 spies. The text says, send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers, shall you send a man, everyone ruler among them. Now Caleb, the son of Jephuneth, the Canaanite, was one of those men. Here in Joshua 14, 45 years later, he came to Joshua at Gilgal to remind him of the promise of God. Here is our first observation in the text as we work our way down. First, we see Caleb's approach, verses 6 through 9. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephuneth, the Kenizzite, said unto him, You know the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and you in Kadesh Barnea. Now Caleb and Joshua, as I said, were brethren in the faith. They acted and they behaved alike in contrast to the majority. The two were once heads of tribes in Israel, Joshua, the head of the tribe of Ephraim, which he later had as an inheritance, Caleb, the head of the tribe of Judah. Now, if you're a Bible student, right away, you see who Caleb is pointing us to. I shouldn't have to tell you, you should know who he is a type of. Caleb, 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 Caleb at that time was the most vocal of the two. He was the one that still the people who were about to stone him and Joshua because of their faithfulness. The majority wanted to stone the two. By the way, two is a prominent number and a prominent figure in the church. Numbers 13, 30, and 31. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. Now since this event in Numbers, you have to read Numbers 13 and 14, of course. Joshua has moved on. He's now head of the nation of Israel. He's, he's no longer head of a tribe, but head of a nation. Caleb comes to Joshua at Gilgal. Now here we see a lesson. Caleb did not show an ounce of jealousy 
or envy. It is born because of Joshua's office. He's commander now. But he approaches Joshua in a noble manner. He did not approach him as a lone ranger. He came with his tribe, his fellow statesmen. He came on behalf of his brethren. And there's a remarkable lesson here in the moral context. And I bring a quote to you from commentator William Blakey, Old Testament commentator Blakey, who took note of Caleb, and I quote from him. He says, it is beautiful to see that there is no rivalry between them. Not only did Caleb interpose no remonstrance when Joshua was called to succeed Moses, but he seems all true with the wars that have yielded to him. The most loyal and hearty submission, his affection and cordial bearing on the present occasion seems to show that not even in the corner of his heart that there linger a trace of jealousy. Blakey picked this up, as I did, from reading about the two. Here is a practical message for all in the church. How do you approach human authority? Whether domestic, civil, how do you approach ecclesiastical government? Do you show this kind of respect? Like Caleb? Are you a lone ranger? In the church, a branch that is not connected to the vine? How do you approach servants of God when it comes to actions that affect your relationship to church life? These are noble applications. The Bible is written for Christians and we must find the moral and the gospel truths in history, lest we ain't studying the Bible. There's such a virtue that is called Christian ethics. Just taught in the scriptures, Hebrews 13, 7, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conduct. Hebrews 37. Now Caleb's approach teaches both moral and practical lessons. I just shared a couple. Sometimes one man may be advanced in the ministry above his peers and suddenly silent rivalry and competition intensifies. Friends become rivals in the church. These are moral lessons, Romans 12. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. 
for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office so we being many are one body in Christ and every one of another Romans 12 3 to 5 you may ask but why you bring this lesson now why you bring this message now well it is here it is a perfect time to bring it in the Lord's church we should be ever on guard of giving occasion to the flesh as we relate to each other Caleb did not assume the privilege of his long-time friendship with Joshua as a reason to undermine and overlook his office notice how he came notice who he came with Bible does say we have to be careful how we approach any kind of eldership. For Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half on the other side of Jordan, verse 3. Unto the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. And here Caleb's basis for this approach was threefold. One, Moses had already granted two and a half tribes their portion on the east side of Jordan, verse 4 and 5, for the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore, they gave no part unto the Levites in the land, save cities to dwell in, with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance, as the Lord commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did, and they divide the land. The Levites didn't have an inheritance because the inheritance was the Lord. As a matter of fact, they are also a type of the believer. But Caleb's approach was based on his apparent faithfulness to God. Three times the narrative record, record is contrast to the majority back in Numbers chapter 14, of course, with the words, but I wholly followed the Lord. Three times. First verse, look at verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, Caleb, by the way, is saying this, but Caleb did not hatch these words out of his heart when he said, I wholly follow the Lord. God said this about Caleb in Numbers 14, 24, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and have followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now, anytime you word this word, read this word, his seed in the singular, it is speaking about Christ. I said this to you so many times before. But the land that Christ possessed is not this land. And that's why Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that word, word earth means land in Matthew chapter 5. So this is a very, very important passage of scripture. Numbers, this, this phrase, I wholly follow the Lord, is found in verse 8. Um, 
It's found in verse 9 of Joshua 14. And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord. And the, the, the important thing in this word, in this verse here, in verse 9, is the word but denotes a contrast. Here, the words are repeated in verse 14. Uh, again, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephuneth, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Three times, three times the narrative repeats this sentence, this line. Obviously, I read, I read these three verses to you because in the deeper context, Caleb, the head of Judah, typifies the Lord Jesus who wholly followed the Lord. There's not one of us can say that we wholly followed the Lord. Caleb typifies the Savior who wholly followed his father. He was thorough in his obedience to the law of God. He did everything the law required. He wholly followed the Lord. But this should be our epitaph also that we are following the Lord. Don't just say uh, that, that, that Caleb represents Christ. He represents the believer also. We are to follow the Lord. And we are to follow him with the best of our ability and, and with our strength. Another basis, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, had in approaching Joshua was because of the Lord's promise. Verse 9, And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where, where upon or whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance. This was a promise. And it was a promise made by an oath. And Moses swore. But there's a third basis for Caleb's approach to Joshua. It was because of the eternal value of the inheritance. That's why I read 1 Peter. It was because of the eternal value of his inheritance. Go back to verse 9. Look at it. Verse 9 says, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children for what, 2,000 years? Forever. Now you should begin to think when you read these phrases and don't dismiss them. There is no inheritance that is on this side of eternity that is forever. Caleb's eyes were beyond the natural land of Canaan. Let me ask the question. What right do you have to approach God? And what are you approaching him for? Based on this text, where are your eyes focused? Or are you faithfully following the Lord 
or are you following others? What are you seeking most in this life? Is it the kingdom of God? Are you thorough in repentance? Are you trifling with grace? These are some questions. We are called to faithfully follow the Lord. That's all. We are not called to perfectly follow the Lord because no one is perfect, but faithfully follow. James says this, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind. By the way, the wind, the wind can speak of the Holy Spirit, but oftentimes the wind also speak of the evil forces of this world. Driven with the wind and toss. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 1, 6 through 8. So this is my first observation from this context. Caleb's approach. We saw his motive for approaching. It, it was because he wholly followed the Lord, because of what Moses promised. It was because of the eternal nature of the inheritance, which is forever. I'll explain what that means in the spiritual setting. But we also want to see how Caleb glorified the Savior in verses 10 and 11. How we glorified Yahweh. Verse 10, I read it to you. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. As he said these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day eighty-five years old. I guess Caleb carried his memory back forty-five years and where he had such a painful experience. He remembers the grief of unbelief. He acknowledges God's goodness in keeping him alive. God, God keeps men alive for a purpose. And I hope you know this. I was telling Mabel this morning in the kitchen, most of my years as a Christian was spent at City View Baptist Church. 10 years in the Manhattan Bible Church on the Tom Harris, and the rest of my life was here at City View. I would like at the end of my tenure to look back and see fruit. Otherwise, I would have wasted my life here at this church. 45 years is a long time, but it's not too long in God's divine providence. The psalmist says, it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are the people of his pasture. We. Unfortunately, too many are seeking other pastors in our church. Many can come to you very quickly and take off from the church with no interest 
in the church. This is a critical time in my ministry. The Lord will not, or the Lord will only keep us if we are in the way to be kept. If we are not in the way to be kept, don't expect the Lord to keep us. The scripture says Caleb had another spirit. That's why he was kept. And the only other spirit Caleb could have had is the Holy Spirit. And say so he had another spirit. It doesn't mean he was crazy. A lot of people got another spirit, but they're crazy. And this is why Caleb was able to follow the Lord fully. Because he had another spirit. While others were about to stone him, it was Caleb that stayed them from this action. And when one has another spirit, they will see life from a divine perspective while others go with the flow. Caleb bent with the word. Very interesting. Caleb glorifies the Savior for the present strength he had to serve. Verse 11, he says, As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then. Even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. This man is committed himself to Joshua, to help Joshua conquer the land. He's committing himself. He says, Joshua, I'm ready to go with you. Of course, this is a, mission, this is a missionary passage. Glorifies God for the strength. Of course, Caleb was not as he was 45 years earlier. He, he, he couldn't be. Come on. But he was not talking about that kind of strength to come earn. But the strength we are called to seek and to have is the strength of the Lord Jesus. Finally, my brethren. Strong in the Lord. And what about that passage? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Shall monk up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I believe that Caleb's strength, and by the word, uh, by the way, this word can also mean power. I believe that. Um, the strength relates to gospel strength. Um, this is what I'm speaking about. To do what is humanly impossible. To fight the battles that are before us spiritually. And Caleb acknowledges and he glorifies God for his goodness. In keeping him. And then we come to the, the last and the most important heading in our context. Caleb's request. This is the important um, highlight of this chapter, verses 12 to 15. And this is what I will spend the next couple of minutes on, Caleb's request. Verse 12, Now therefore give me this mountain 
whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and thanks. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Well, this was a personal request because no fewer than five times the personal noun is used referring to the subject. Caleb requested the very place that intimidated the other ten spies at Kadesh Barnea. The mountain where Israel circled aimlessly for 38 years. The place where Miriam died. The place where Aaron died, Kadesh Barnea. It is a memorable place. A place that reminded Israel of failure. 38 years. Bearing the whoredoms of their brethren. Caleb wanted to vindicate the enemy and validate the power of God. Who does he remind you of? And sometimes, brethren, the very place that intimidates us, the very sin that threatens us is the very sin that God gives us strength to conquer. I'm serious. Maybe it's a bottle. I don't know. But today people are, are, are troubled and intimidated by failure. God wanted to show that he can take our failures and turn them to triumphs and that he can change death into life. Caleb said, give me this mountain. Your mountain may seem enormous. It may be a besetting sin that we all have that wouldn't go away. That you are covering. I know a lady in Chuma that covers her sin for seven long years. I don't know how she did it, but she did a very good job of covering it. But the Bible says in Numbers, Behold, your sin will find you out. It is better that your sin find you out at Calvary than it find you out at Judgment Day. Give me this mountain. Caleb said. Jesus said that if one have as a faith as small as a mustard seed, they can say to this mountain be removed and cast into the sea. He was talking about the mountain of sin, brethren. Today we do not move Mount Everest. But the great troubling sin can be moved. And that, that mountain is the mountain that stands between us 
and the inheritance of God. Notice verse 12, part, part C, verse 12, Joshua 14, 12, part C. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And, and you and I, brethren, must not think that gospel success and gospel victory, Christian victory, is automatic. Nor should we think that we can manage ourselves. That, that heaven is a free ride. I mean, without any struggles. Caleb said, if so be, the Lord will be with me. This is the sense of trust and dependence. If so be, because God he promised to be with us if we are not with him. If so be, the Lord be with me. People want the Lord to be with them, but they don't want to be with him and expect the promises of God. They only call upon him in desperation. Joshua listened to this request of Caleb, his brother, his twin brother, verses 13 through 15, and Joshua blessed him. And by the way, the lesser is always blessed by the greater. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for inheritance. You know, keep repeating this man, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. It is a reminder that Caleb came from a family that was not a covenant family. He came from the inhabitants of the land, his family. And it is a lesson that shows sometimes those who were strangers to the covenant have more fortitude and faith than those who are accustomed to the covenant. Caleb, he's, he, was, he was one like Rahab. He was brought into the faith. Like Ruth, the Moabites. Now he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I keep repeating his ancestry to remind us that God is gracious to the stranger. Verse 14 says, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Japuneth, the Kezanite, unto this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Karjaf Arabo, which Arabo was a great man among the Anakims and the land had rest from war. Now, don't let this history intimidate you. Hebron was prime real estate in Israel, not because of its location, but because of its rich spiritual heritage. Caleb is not asking for anything, brethren. 
Hebron was where Abraham first settled and built an altar unto God. The word Caleb, the word Hebron means fellowship. These are, these are deep spiritual lessons. Hebron became the burying place for Abraham's wife, Sarah. Hebron was the capital of Judah where David became king later. This is what happened before, before, um, before, uh, before in history. But what Caleb is claiming. Caleb saw a place with a rich heritage. The place you should be claiming is not the spot of land that your grandfather was buried in or your, your country where whoever was buried. The place you and I should be claiming is a place with a rich heritage. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go. I'm going to the cross to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you. Is this the place that you are coveting? Think of it. Don't just read this history and dismiss it. It is gospel. This man didn't ask for any old place somewhere like Lot and his wife. He said, Jesus, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. And where Jesus is, all of us should know where he is. Now today our God has promised an inheritance that will not fade away. We read about it over and over and over. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that when we, when we trusted in Christ that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of the purchase possession. We know these verses. Uh, how do we apply them? God has promised an inheritance to those who wait on him. But this inheritance is not high in the sky. There are ditches and crevices the past, just like Caleb. There's a cross to bear. It's not easy. So in this exposition of Joshua 14, 1 through 15, even though I didn't cover verses 1 through 5, we're called attention to the subject of claiming the inheritance or claiming the promise. And this is our practical observations from the text. Caleb's approach, we saw how he glorified God, 
in what he said of Yahweh's goodness who kept him alive, but we saw his request. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. Now I want to make a conclusion to what I've just shared with you uh, in the next couple of minutes. If you and I have read these words, and I suppose that you have read them many times, in Joshua 14, and see them as a composition of ancient history, you have read them wrong. These are words to remind us of two kinds of people. One, those who are on the broad, broad road that leads to destruction, typified by the majority who fail to enter the promised inheritance because of unbelief. Today you might be voting, no, I can't conquer. I can't be saved. I can't become a Christian. You are on the Broadway that leads to destruction because of unbelief. But two, this message reminds us of the remnant who are represented by Caleb and his seed. Don't forget the majority was about to stone him and Joshua. Expect resistance from your peers. Expect resistance in your church. This is a sobering passage. Caleb and his seed is a picture of the remnant that belongs to Christ. He's a picture of the Savior who wholly followed the Lord in obedience. We come to him for redemption. We come to him for salvation. We come to Christ, not to Caleb. Come beseeching him just like how he went to Joshua. Notice where he went, to, where he found Joshua at Gilgal. You followed me in these messages, and you should know these words by now. I'm not going to repeat them. If you're following, you should remember them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again unto a lively hope. This is how we partake in this inheritance. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible. We can't be talking about Hebron. Undefiled and that fadeth not away. I said to you, Caleb saw the value of the inheritance. This one that Peter is talking about. Reserve in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. I, I don't understand all of this. Is this true? Is this really going to happen? Well, let me tell you something. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind, repent. Have he said and shall he not do? 
or have he spoken and shall he not make it good? And, and these words come from a, a soothsayer, Balaam, but he was correct. Numbers 23, 19. And today in the Middle East, nations are fighting like cats and dogs for an earthly stake in the West Bank. Nations are fighting like cats and dogs. They will fight and end up the same place. Others are seeking a stake in this world. Following the Lord means that you and I must go against the opinion poll. A scale of day. Minority. It means that you and I must come to the place that Caleb came. Caleb came to Gilgal. We don't go there. Yes, that's where we go. To the cross. We return to Gilgal. The place where Israel's reports was rolled away. We must come to the cross. Place of shame. People want to go to heaven, but they don't want the shame for the cross. We don't want the stigma of repentance. There where we claim the same eternal promise that Caleb claimed. We must see the value of that which is eternal. Uh, I was sharing last week. We don't like church anymore. We want to go to heaven, but we don't like church. We don't like the people in the church either. Oh, if you don't like people on earth, what makes you think you're going to like them in heaven? I don't know where we get that from. You don't like Christians, but you want to go to heaven. The best place to practice is here. Mad dash for the door. Yeah, we must see the value of eternal things. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and loses one's soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So when you read the Old Testament book, of Joshua, Joshua, these verses. Don't let them intimidate you. Read them carefully and ask the question, how does this relate to Christ? How does this relate to the gospel? How does this relate to me? Well, it does. It teaches two kinds of people. Those on the Broadway, those that belongs, those that are the remnant, they would follow the Lord like Caleb. Following the Lord fully requires one having another spirit. Just as Caleb had, and God promises us that the Comforter will come. And when he comes, he will convict the world. And by the way, when it says he will convict the world, Brother Deprogain, it's not talking about the world out there. It is talking about the world where the elect are found. They are the ones that will be convicted. Those are the ones to whom Christ would make himself known. They'll be convicted of sin, their sin, of righteousness, 
and of judgment to come. Everybody ain't convicted about that. But those in the world who are convicted are though of those things are brought to Christ. But only don't read that and say, well, you see, the Holy, that's not the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring the elect to Christ, and he does so by convicting them of sin, of righteousness, judgment. So where there is no conviction, that's terrible. It may be. It may be that the Lord is not calling you, but you can pray, and you should pray. But following the Lord requires another spirit. These are applications to take away from the historical account. These are the things to see in our lesson from Joshua. And I close by saying, I, I believe, and this is personal, I believe that most of us who are here are here for a reason. Most of us, not all of us. I believe that most of us want to leave this world with the assurance of salvation. I believe that. Thank you, Zoraida. But I also believe that not many want to come to salvation on the Lord's terms. Many don't want to come humble, begging, beseeching the Lord, give me this mountain. If so be, I can cast out the enemy, the sins in my life. Give me this salvation. If so be, and you are with me, I can cast out these sins that are troubling me. May God bless you. Let's pray. History. We have labored in history. But what a profound message. We thank you for our Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, who have followed you faithfully, Lord, when stones were thrown at him, when spit landed in his face, and a cruel cross, Lord, he bore, he followed you faithfully. And now we can look, we can look to him and have life, life eternal. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.